0: Hi, you're listening to Deep Cut. I'm Wilson Lai.
1: I'm Benjamin Yap.
0: I'm Eli Sands. Each episode, we talk about two
2: movies by one director, their most popular film, and a personal favorite chosen by one of us. This week, guys, I'm very excited because we're talking about one of my favorite directors, and in particular, one of my favorite writers, Oscar Farhadi. Woo-hoo. Woohoo! If you forced me to name who I think the best living and working screenwriter is, on the planet today.
0: Gun to the head, Eli. Gun to the head. I wasn't going to use that. That's too violent.
2: Too violent. (laughs) Oscar (laughs) Fahadi. Absolutely. He has made multiple masterpieces and even the ones that I don't like as much are still great movies. He's a really compelling director who makes fascinating, complicated movies. It's not going to be me gushing the whole episode, but allow me to do some gushing up top. I love the man.
0: We love you, Asghar Farhadi. I don't even know what this guy looks like. Let me look. You don't know what he looks like. Let me go. Let me go. Does he look like Nader in a separation? Because that's just who I'm imagining. No, not really. No, he does not. Not at all. all.
2: He's balding. He has a goatee.
0: He has a great goatee. Yes. Everyone who's watching this episode can see what he looks like. So I'm just made a fool out of myself. But he looks looks great. A good director.
1: I think I would have to agree with you, Eli, because I also think he is one of the best directors out there and one of the best with actors as well. Yes. Like his actors put in amazing work. Like it is an envy to watch. I don't know whether it's their director is good or it's the actor is good or they're just both good.
2: I think the answer is both. He has some actors who he returns to and works with regularly. In particular, Shahab Hosseini, who is in A Separation and about Ellie and The salesmen, which are all fantastic movies. But he also has a very precise way of working with actors and a lot of training in the theater, as we'll talk about. So I think it's both. The popular pick is 2011's A Separation, which is most widely known in the U.S. of his works because it was the first of his movies to win the Best Foreign Language Feature at the Academy Awards. The deep cut pick is 2013's The Past, I was going by a couple different criteria when I was choosing what the deep cut pick should be. He has some movies that are set outside of Iran. He has some movies that are a little bit less grounded in the realism that he typically traffics in. There are some movies that are more about romance than he typically works with. And the past sort of combined all those things. In some ways, it's his most overtly melodramatic movie.
1: Wait, really?
2: Okay. So this is interesting. The other reason this episode is going to be interesting is because all three of us agree that a separation, Stone Cold Masterpiece.
1: Stone Cold.
2: Stone Cold. No holes. But there's some disparity when it comes to the past. (laughs) Show of hands. You
1: can't see our hands in the podcast. Forget it. We won't raise
2: hands. It's an audio format. (laughs) Wilson and I both liked the past. I don't think it's his best, but I think it's fascinating. And Ben. I didn't like it.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just took issue with what you said because, if anything, of the Fahari I've seen, I feel like everybody knows it's more of a pure melodrama, as you said, compared to the past. Hmm. We can get much deeper into that when we talk about
2: the past. Yes, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, more like <laughs> the future. <laughs> 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 Before we go into his biography, very quickly, what movies of his have both of you seen?
0: I watched the two that we were going to watch for this episode, and those were the first two Asghar Farhadi movies I've ever seen, which is also shame on me, shame on me. I'm hitting my head. You, you can't no. see. <laughs> I'm, I'm tapping my head really lightly. <laughs> very hojata view. <laughs> I really loved both the movies, so then I asked Eli to tell me what to watch next. He sort of talked me through what I could watch next, and then I just didn't watch them. (laughs) So it's the two movies that we're talking about this episode, but I loved both of them, and we'll get into that later on. And the benefit
2: of that is that you have a really wonderful journey through an excellent filmography ahead of you. Yes. So how about you, Ben?
1: I have seen, of course, these two movies. I've seen... About Ellie and The Salesman. Oh, and Everybody Knows, which I already mentioned. Up until I watched The Past, I can say that I kind of loved everything that he has made. <laughs> and then I watched The Past, and then I was like, oh no, there's a dud. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh. And I, I was pretty surprised watching The Past and being like, oh man, th- this is boring. This is an interesting... Ooh, boring. Uh, <laughs> boring. <laughs> but I'll save, save my criticisms for later. Okay.
0: So, Ben, I have a question for you. Wait, shit.
1: (laughs) What's the question? I'm feeling a little attacked.
0: (laughs) The question is, considering you have seen all these Farhadi movies. And you don't like the past. And you don't like the movie that we're talking about today. Sorry. (laughs) What would be your deep cut pick?
2: Can we pause to just highlight how good the phrase deep cut pick sounds? Deep cut pick.
0: Deep cut pick. Deep cut pick.
1: Let me think. If I were to pick... So the weird thing is that some of the Fahardi I've seen, I can't quite remember the contents of the film, but I just know that I like them.
0: Do you remember the feeling? I remember
1: the feeling of devastation watching these films, but I don't remember what's going on. I think it's because they're plotted so densely, where so many things are going on with multiple characters, where it's difficult to remember the specific situations within the films. But if you were to ask me, based on my kind of vague memory, I would bring either Everybody Knows because of the same reason that Eli had, which is that it's more of a pure melodrama than any of the other films that he has made. Or another pick might be About Ellie, which I watched a long time ago, or rather I have a very vague recollection of, but it has one of those great Farhadi reveals Mm. that... I know there was one, I can't remember what it was, so I can't wait to watch it again to remind myself what it is. That is kind of this hammer drop moment, which I don't even know what the moment is anymore. A thought I had while thinking about Fahardi this week is, the way that he plots his narratives and the kinds of stories he tells remind me a little bit of Ozu, not in terms of the content, but in that it feels like he is thinking about the same kinds of themes, but twisting the story a little bit, Mm -hmm. changing the twist, changing the relationships. The same way Ozu has his main plot points that don't change that much, but then he's changing the characters, he's changing the relationships to explore different kinds of characters. That's kind of a weird comparison, but I think it's the reason why I find it difficult to remember what his films are about. Mm -hmm.
2: That's interesting. I like your observation about the plotting just to specify that a bit there's always one umbrella problem and then there is a cascading trickle of subsequent slights and misdemeanors resulting from that
0: way too deep (laughs) yeah eli which farhadi have you
2: seen i've seen all of his movies now except for his second which is called beautiful city Due to the nature of the internet and American distribution, it's not readily available and I wasn't able to find it. But I have seen his first. Which
1: one's his first movie?
2: It's called Dancing in the Dust. It's very unusual. It's almost like a buddy comedy set in the Mm. desert. It's strange. I think it's good, but knowing his tendencies that he focuses on later, it does feel very out of place. But it's interesting and there are hints of what's to come in it. Before I go into his biography, I want to give a sort of introduction to what are the things that Farhadi usually does and what does he care about. Asghar Farhadi is an Iranian writer and director of eight feature films. His movies are realist domestic dramas that tend towards moral ambivalence. His characters often experience trauma and proceed to inflict pain on others as the story progresses. They're usually trying to get to the source of some wrongdoing and their persistence causes greater harm. He has some core principles that he usually returns to in his movies, and I want to introduce some of them to put them on the table for our conversation. So chief amongst these principles would be empathy. He speaks about this a lot in interviews and the ways in which he can challenge the viewer's morality based on portraying a character's motivations as understandable even as their actions tend towards wrong. So he says in one interview, quote, If you want to write something on my grave, it should be empathy. I'm always working towards empathy, even with the characters who do wrong. There's no challenge when you put yourselves in the shoes of the good people. The films where characters are heroic and do lots of great things are satisfying and comfortable to audiences. But I want audiences to put themselves in the shoes of characters who have done something wrong. And the audience can then ask themselves, if I were in his shoes, would I do the same thing or not? And if I were to do that, What decisions would I make after that? This is the kind of an excuse for the audience to make self-realizations, end quote. That's sort of key thing number one, right? Mm -hmm. He wants you to understand at any given moment why is someone acting the way they are and making the decisions that they are right even as they're doing things that hurt other people does that track for you guys
0: do you see that it really does oh man
1: it definitely does <laughs> especially for a separation it sounds like that quote is specifically talking about that one movie because all i can remember from last night when i rewatched it was once all the pieces start coming to place feeling extreme anxiety yeah yeah at moments i was like okay i'm gonna pause and walk around a little bit <laughs> And I had watched this movie before and at that point I was starting to remember all the things that had happened. But it still got me. I still felt all those difficult emotions. I still was navigating my empathy of these characters who seem to be doing terrible things. Yeah. But maybe with reason, not good reason, but with reason that I could understand. With reason that
0: you understand, yeah.
1: Correct. Painful.
2: Yeah, it's all the internal logic and irrationality of each character is so meticulously set up. Yes. And it all locks into place in the best of his movies. Yes. Yes. This
0: doesn't just apply to Farhadi's main characters. He usually has a leading ensemble, Mm. and I could say for each one of them in both films, I understood motivation, even though I didn't maybe agree with the action I understood why they were making the decisions that they were making, and it was incredible. I I would think that Farhadi is a kind of screenwriter that just thinks about regular character types and is just like, that's too easy for me. (laughs) He
1: creates such complex characters, but they're not difficult to follow. Like He Mm. creates a web of motivations, especially when he has a large cast to work with, and then intersects There are different motivations, there are different secrets and conflicts with other characters, Right, but it's never difficult to follow what's going on. He's never making it too complex or too neat in a way that makes it kind of contrived. It always feels authentic. Okay, maybe not always,
2: (laughs) but we'll get into that. (laughs) Boys, you have handed me the perfect transition on a platter, so I must thank you for that. I was literally going to say that it's not just empathy for the main character. It's for all the characters. He's constructing ambivalent arguments. And that is the second thing that I want to put out there. Ambivalent arguments. So in an interview about two characters from a separation, he says, quote, The confrontation between these two women is not that of good versus bad. They are simply two clashing visions of good. And that is where, in my opinion modern tragedy resides Mm -hmm. conflict sparks between two positive entities and what i hope is that the viewer will not know
0: whose victory to wish for end quote that tracks that's exactly how i felt watching the separation same i didn't know who to root for but i just felt so deeply about all these characters that i just Mm. wanted all of them to be okay and i i knew in my heart that it could never happen because they've strung themselves into this horrible situation
1: and nobody's okay (laughs) nobody's okay (laughs) it's the worst it is the worst movie to watch everything sucks (laughs) but it's so good
2: i was reading the script yesterday and even just doing that i had to pause every now and then and like pull my hair back and take a breather (laughs) that makes it sound like i have long hair i don't
0: (laughs) You know how in Kelly Reichardt's Old Joy, where things were under the surface and everyone was just vibing for a second? I was like, can we just have a little breather? Everyone take a little trip to hot baths, bathtubs, <laughs> and-, and chill for a okay, second.
1: This is a really random aside, but this is why I really appreciated this one joke in the middle of the film.
2: Oh, I know what you're going to say.
1: When Nadir has his-, his wrist is handcuffed to the... I guess he's a cop or something. And then he's trying to swear on his life to his daughter. And then he raises the guy's arm as well. And then they have a look and a moment and they laugh. Really love that moment. Very important. Yeah. Because that was the only breather in the entire film.
2: (laughs) The levity is important because it keeps you grounded in the fact that these are people who have lives. And, you know, Mm -hmm. enjoy levity Mm -hmm. just like everyone else who's not living in a nightmare situation of a (laughs) melodrama, you know. Like when they're playing... Foosball at the table together. Mm. I think that's another important glimpse of calm and levity.
1: That's a good moment before everything goes to shit.
2: (laughs) On that note, realism is generally a hazy term, but I want to introduce it for Farhadi here because for him it means quotidian people with normal problems that get very severe. The dialogue is pretty down to earth and the camera style doesn't call attention to itself It's almost verite often, with a couple notable exceptions, particularly in the past that we will touch on. Mm -hmm. So he says, quote, when you try to make your movie as close as possible to real life, you give the audience the opportunity to watch it from different aspects. For example, if social issues are important to you, you can watch it with those in mind. If you're the kind of person who is interested in morality, you can watch it with a morality lens and judge the character's morals and so on, end quote. There's a definite down-to-earth quality that makes the severity of the situations all the more terrifying.
1: Hmm. Because it tries to present everything as real. It's not heightened stylistically. Yeah. Yeah. Although it does use style well, but by trying to present it in a... Not say documentary-like, but rather very in a very kind of immediate experience kind of way. Because, you know, he uses handheld and all that. Yeah. It makes you forget that it's a movie. Yeah. And that's kind of the experience watching A Separation, at least. Where you kind of just get lost into the, the emotion of it. Yeah.
2: He himself talks about using a documentary camera style. And the other thing that comes in is theater, which we will talk about a lot more. So on the note of judging the character's morals... We need to talk about how Farhadi positions the audience. And he does two things. He makes you a judge and he makes you a detective. So how does he set the viewer into those roles? Almost all of his movies are mysteries because he wants the audience engaged on both plot and theme. Quote, The structure of my story is not a line, it is a circle. You work around the situations like an onion, taking the layers out, end quote. And, (laughs) quote, I think a separation is a detective movie, but the detective is not inside the movie. The audience is the detective. So it's very important to think about how much information I give them in a scene. I have to hide some information so the audience can search for important details. After an event, they go back to the details no matter how simple. A good example is that scene where the girl is bringing the trash down the stairs. Mm. When you're watching it, you say, why is the scene in the movie? It's not important. And much later you find out, oh, it was very important, actually. End quote.
0: It made me think about back to the previous point where we were talking about his camera. When watching a separation, I kept on thinking about the camera's eye being our eye, because mm. the the handheld camera it feels like you're you're watching these events unfold through someone's point of view. What he chooses to show us and what he doesn't choose to show us if things are obscured by doors or windows. I'm thinking about that. Or an edit. A cutaway. Yes. Or a cutaway. But I keep on thinking of that decisive moment. There's an action that happens. We're sort of obscured for a little bit and we see an aftermath. Right. The use of camera there is very, very important. And it always feels like in Farhadi movies, every word you say could mean something. With
2: the camera placement, it's important to note that the camera is rarely positioned in the eyeline between two characters. It feels like you're present there observing as well, Mm -hmm. except for a couple key moments, particularly in a separation that we'll touch back on. Mm -hmm. The last thing is that the ending is often ambiguous. There's no answers to how you should feel about any of this. He says, quote, I don't think it's important for the audience to know my intention. I'd rather they left the cinema with questions. I believe that the world today needs more questions than answers. Answers prevent you from questioning, from thinking, end quote.
1: I want answers, for Hardy. (laughs) The world is really complicated.
2: (laughs) I felt it was important to put these concepts and core principles that Farhadi holds onto the table for our conversation how he uses challenging empathy, how he creates ambivalent arguments, how he employs realism, how he positions the audience as a judge and detective, and how he relies on ambiguous endings to send you out of the movie with questions.
1: Awesome. Thanks,
2: Eli. Briefly now. Are we getting into his life? Yes.
1: His life.
2: (laughs) Mr. Fahardi.
1: Oh, no, he's a Mr. Fahardi. He's at
0: the level. (laughs) Yeah. He's at the level. Mr. Wiseman, Mr. Farhadi.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Madame Varda.
0: Madame Mm. Varda. Ooh, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame.
2: Oscar Farhadi was born May 7th, 1972 in Homayun Shar in the Isfahan province in Iran. One of his earliest movie-going memories was going to the movies with a cousin of his, but he entered into the movie halfway through. For subsequent days, all he was thinking about was what the first half of the movie had been, and he kept on creating that first half in his mind. That feels (laughs) telling to me. That's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) He started in cinema by making short films with the Isfahan branch of the Iranian Young Cinema Society. He studied theater at the University of Tehran and Tarbiat Modaris University, which is important. Theater is very important to him. He wrote, directed, and produced a number of TV shows for the television channel, Islamic Republic of Iran Broadcasting, He also wrote for film scripts before his 2003 writing and directorial debut, Dancing in the Dust, which we mentioned. He started to receive international attention with his third film, Fireworks Wednesday, which is about a young woman about to be married who winds up working a temp job for a day for a family that's falling apart. That's another one of my favorites of his, up there with A Separation and The Salesman for me. He directs About Ellie in 2009, which is about a friend group on a beach vacation that goes horribly, horribly awry. (laughs) It involves the ocean. No good. (laughs) To be clear, I like the ocean. Just a fun dip. Yeah. Oh, dear. (laughs) A Separation comes out in 2011, and it wins the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, The Golden Bear at Berlin, Best Film at the Cesar Awards. It's internationally renowned. In 2013, he makes The Past, which is his first foray out of Iran to film. In 2016 comes The Salesman, which is about a theater actor who eventually seeks the identity of the man who assaulted his wife It won the Academy Award again. But notably, Farhadi did not attend the ceremony and had a statement read when he won, decrying the travel ban imposed by Donald Trump on the residents of seven nations, including Iran. In 2018, he stepped out of Iran again for Everybody Knows, which is set in Spain with massive international stars like Javier Bardem, Penelope Cruz, Ricardo Darín. His next project which, according to IMDb, is in post-production, is called a hero, and I know nothing else about it. So that's a very brief rundown of his life and work. He is described as having an intense gaze, which I think fits. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I
1: had a great goatee. <laughs> great goatee.
0: I love how short his film titles are. It's two words, like, and you don't know anything <laughs> when, ge- when you're going in. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I
1: noted it for a separation, that the separation is not even the key conflict, in a sense, of
0: a separation. (laughs) It's like the B-plot. The past is very much the key conflict of the past. (laughs) Yes.
2: Well, I guess in a separation, it depends on which or what type of separation you're talking about, right? Ooh. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's some layers of meaning.
1: Although I read that the original title was very specifically the separation of... Nader and Simin.
2: Oh yeah, you're right. That is the Iranian title.
1: <laughs> it is specifically about the two of them, but that part of the plot maybe occupies what 30 minutes of the film. Yeah. And then there's the other part which is huge. I don't know if you're going to go more into his biography, but I had been reading about him cursorily and he talked about theater and really liking Arthur Miller, which is a big part of The Salesman, right, or The Salesman, where it's two theater actors putting on Death of a Salesman. Did your research bring up anything about that?
0: Yes. (laughs) What if you just said yes and then moved on?
2: (laughs) Yes. Fuck you, Ben. Moving on. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for bringing that up, Ben. Theater is very important to Farhadi. It moves into his movies in interesting ways. And it's what he studied before he was a professional filmmaker. So in an interview, he says, quote, The thing that cinema can give us is a closeness to real life. And what theater can give us is subjects that have so many layers. The combination of these two was very exciting to me. We watch theater not because it makes us emotional, but because it makes us think. That's why the audiences of plays are more intellectual than the audiences of cinema. When, <laughs> Yeah, ouch. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're dumb.
2: (laughs) Three dumb boys.
0: Three dumb movie reviewers. Also, Cats
1: is a play, I guess you could say. (laughs) Yeah. That's on the stage. That's theater.
2: That's emotional. But it's
1: Cats.
2: (laughs) When we watch cinema, it often gets us emotional. I like the combination of these two. A movie that has these two elements together. End quote. That, to me, might be the ultimate key to Farhadi. It's the time- and detail of character that he gives to characters of the theater, moving that into movies, Mm. combining that with the visceral experience of watching a movie and the closeness of watching a movie. For his movies, he tends to have about a month of rehearsal time beforehand, and that feels important too. He's working with the actors very closely. He takes them on as collaborators, and he will adjust the story based on their strengths.
1: I think his films prove this idea that he has that characters have more layers in theater is false. That it is very possible to do that in film, but it's just not something that is done very often. Why? I don't
0: know. (laughs) The amount of movies being made versus the amount of theater being made is so different that I feel like in movies you can have room for different types of movies, like movies where you don't have to think that are very straightforward or movies that are deeper and have complex characters like these movies. I think it's also because
1: theater, or at least famous theater, is very much writer-centric, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they write the text and it's all about interpretations of the text by different directors, by different actors, which brings in those layers of meaning and feeling. Whereas the film, the text is not so much the writing, but more of the end product, which is the film. Mm-hmm. So if it shits the bit, it's, it's going to shit the bit. Right. <laughs> Dear. And you can't clean it up. You know what I mean? Jeez, Ben. <laughs> <And> terrible metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but with theater, you can direct a play badly, but the text, if it's acclaimed, is supposed to still be good, regardless of the direction. Right. So there's that kind of weirdness between film and theater.
2: So with that about theater established, let's move into talking about a separation. Woo! He had been working on a script in Berlin, and then he had the idea. He says, quote, I had an image of a guy in the bathroom with his father who has Alzheimer's, and he was washing him. I asked myself, who is he? Where is his family? Why is he washing his father in his home? Once I find the answer to this question, I clear up the story.
0: That's fucking ridiculous. That okay, makes wait, zero wait. sense. <laughs> That's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Why? How do you how do you come up with one of the best movies of all time? Just like from that. There's a guy in a bathroom. <laughs> I, well, just, just uh, mind blowing. Part of it comes from his
2: experience. He took care of a grandfather of his who had Alzheimer's, and it seems like he kind of just took that experience and said, "How can I make it more intense or more fraught?" And then- <laughs> Add a, the other 99% of the ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: exactly. <laughs> I love how that's the base, though. I, I keep on thinking about what is the catalyst for screenwriters to build out the plot of their films. When thinking about Farhadi movies, I would honestly always think about the opening, because at least with both of these films, the actions taken in the opening are what sets off everything that goes on in, in the film. But... I guess Nadir taking care of his father could be a great launching off point. Wait, let me finish this quotation. <laughs> sorry. Wait, okay, wait, wait. sorry, sorry. <laughs> I need to respond because now that
1: I've had a little bit more time to think about it, it kind of makes total sense. Yeah. Because the film is very much aligned with Nadir. Yes. And his emotional connection with his father is the large reason why much of their
2: conflict happens. Yes.
0: That's true. That's exactly right. That is the base.
2: Continuing the quotation. (laughs) Once I find the answer to this question, I clear up the story. Then I finish the plot and I put some signs, some themes, some detailed themes. So I don't have themes that are looking for a story. I have the reverse. For me, writing a story and making a movie is like a crossword puzzle. Every detail is related to other pieces. It's like a game, end quote. So then he went back to Iran from Berlin to write it. And the draft that I read yesterday, which I believe is the shooting script, is dated July 2010.
0: Yeah, and that was the shooting ch- script that Asghar Farhadi personally handed to you himself, right? Oh my god, if only. I would, faint. <laughs> I would faint.
2: You know the question that people ask, like, who would you want to have a meal with, like a famous person living or dead? My answer most of the time is Oscar Farhadi Because I just Wow. I wanna <laughs> I wanna soak up how he writes. Would you crumble
0: when you would you if you saw him?
2: No, I would just I would ask him as many questions as I could. Yeah. I want to I wanna yeah. if I could write scripts like this man does, I uh I I, I will publicly stake my claim that I, I just I admire his writing so much. I, I wish I could emulate yeah. the way that he creates such ambivalence and cares for people. One of the things that we talked about in the Koryeda episode, our first episode, is how he demonstrates empathy through positive example, right? Mm -hmm. And Farhadi demonstrates it through negative example. He Mm. shows you Mm. why it matters for people to care for each other by showing what happens (laughs) when people don't (laughs) and those bonds fall apart. Let's go into a brief synopsis of a separation in case our listeners haven't watched it yet and just a heads up there will be spoilers aplenty in this conversation
1: watch the film yeah
2: it yes. really is like one of the best movies ever made Thanks. and a personal tippy top favorite of mine
0: pause this podcast and go watch the movie we'll wait for you you don't have to watch the past to, to listen to the rest of this but watch the <laughs> benjamin
2: <laughs> dang. dang ben this is my
1: character type for this podcast yeah. <laughs> you're the pod villain <laughs>
2: Payman Mahdi plays Nader Lavasani, who is dragging his heels to stall his wife's aim to divorce him. His wife is Simin, played by Leila Hatami, who wishes to leave Nader and take their daughter Terme, played by Oscar Farhadi's daughter, Serena Farhadi.
0: Wait, what? No No way. way. Yep,
2: yep, 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 (laughs) yep. I found that little tidbit and my jaw dropped. That's his daughter. (laughs)
0: god the pain that he put her through no just kidding just kidding (laughs) but i'm like this daughter's going through a lot of shit this entire movie she does a great performance
2: she does payman mahdi and serena farhadi so the the father and daughter in rehearsal spent a lot of time together and would drive to set together and just became very close and i think that translates to the screen Mm. you can sense their bond Mm -hmm. it feels very believable so Nader wishes to remain in iran to he says care for his ailing father who has alzheimer's it seems like Tarma prefers and is closer to her father and samin will not leave the country without taking Tarma with her so it's a real stalemate this is a middle class urban family in order to continue working at a bank while having his father be accompanied during the day Nader hires a temp care worker to watch his father this is razia a mother from a lower socioeconomic class played by Sara Bayat. She brings her daughter, Samaya with her to watch Nadir's father. She isn't very prepared for the job, but she does it until one day, Nadir comes home to find his father has fallen out of bed, oxygen mask off his face, his arm tied to the bed, and no Razia in sight. Nadir is incensed, and when Razia returns, Nadir physically throws her out and slams the door. That evening, Razia has a miscarriage. At the hospital, Nader and Simin meet Razia's husband, the fierce and religious Hojat, played by Shahab Hosseini. Really remarkable performance. This starts a legal inter-family conflict between Nader's family and Razia's, ensnaring both their spouses and children and pretty much dissolving any caring bonds for the sake of being right, pride, and exacting vengeance on everyone's part.
1: Just a great time in the theater. Yep.
0: (laughs) Everyone's having fun in this operation. So I know that you guys at least enjoyed it. We've called
2: it a masterpiece. (laughs) But tell me more about your reaction and your viewing experience.
1: I'll let you go, Wilson. It's your first time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is my first time. I will say I could maybe be in the same boat as Ben. So I'm glad I watched the past first because... A Separation is just a stone-cold masterpiece. When I watched it, I was just like, this is a top-ten movie. The script is wound up so tight, and the amount of detail that Farhadi puts into every line of dialogue, which in turn translates to every shot in the movie, it's so packed. It's so packed with emotional information, character motivation. He's able to cover so much ground through this whole movie, And is also able to cover so many social issues. Which was so shocking to me. I had no idea what this movie was about. And I'm really glad I went in very blind. Because it really took me for a ride. (laughs) The performances are incredible. The editing is so tight. There are a couple moments that I do want to bring up. The first moment happens after Razia and Somaya finish their first day. And are getting driven back to the bus stop by Simin, mm. She drops him off at the bus. They take the bus. They're just transiting. And then... Immediately they come back. And then immediately they return back. And then the second moment is when Nadir is trying to explain to Termeh his daughter, why him pushing... Razia out the door would not result in her falling down the stairs. So he's trying to show her by pushing her and we see the action start to play out. And then when he finishes the push, we're in another scene in another day. But in the same location, he's with the detectives and the judges and they're all there trying to figure out the action which supposedly caused Rezier's miscarriage.
2: Those are interesting moments to highlight and I think a mark of his efficiency and clarity. Yeah.
0: Yes. Like you
1: said, Eli, it's about
2: the efficiency and
1: it just reminds me of how fast this movie moves. A lot happens. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Wilson, every single moment is important. Every single moment is packed with information and emotion. Nothing is extraneous. And so those two moments you highlighted just show that he's just shaving off the parts that are not important because there's just a lot of ground to cover and he covers everything.
0: Yes.
2: The script is 143 pages and the movie is shorter than that. There are a couple elements that are cut out. There is a kitten in the courthouse at a couple points that is not in the final (laughs) movie, I think for the better, probably.
1: (laughs) It'll make the movie too cute. (laughs) Yes.
2: The movie both moves at a clip through a lot of events but it still feels natural and it is not rushed yes it's just that things are so tense and amped up that it makes sense that a lot happens
1: my experience watching it for I think the third time, which is a wonder how I (laughs) forgot the plot. So I'm sorry, I'm a forgetful person. (laughs) Is that, like I said before, I still felt that not in my stomach watching this thing. That third time through, it was painful to watch. But as I mentioned, the separation that's in the title is not the main plot, right? The main conflict is between these two families from different social classes. Yes. What I realized this time around watching it is that That story of the separation of Nadir and Simin is so important to support the emotional conflict of the other one. Mm -hmm. It is like he took the soul of another movie to amp up this movie, right? Because you could have a movie that's just about divorce. But no, it's this is a movie about a conflict between two families. Let me jam this divorce thing in to amplify everything that's happening
2: (laughs) and have double the emotional impact of a typical movie, which is kind of what it feels like. To me, the (laughs) result of that choice and that choice of title as a bit of a misdirection as to what the core problem of the movie is, Mm. that asks you to take a look at the contextual stress that feeds into the conflict between the two families. They're stressed out and that's making this conflict all the more intense. And the same thing is true of the other family too. You see what contextually is going on in their lives their creditors are putting Hoxha into jail. He's lost his job. He's upset about the system working against him because he's in a lower social economic class. It feeds into the information that you have about everyone's motivations. It's a very main point of the way that this script is written is that there are always other things going on that make the main conflict worse. Mm -hmm. And anyone is unable to step out of their perspective and look at the contextual information of the other side and say, okay, well, this is going on. Let's adjust accordingly. No, it's all about the selfish goals of being right and exacting revenge Mm -hmm. and standing by pride stubbornly. So from here, we can kind of go to a number of places, right? We can talk about any number of things that are set up in this movie. Religion, class, the court system. wait,
1: how, okay, how does <laughs> the Iranian court system work? It's just a dude in the office making decisions. But he doesn't explain it in terms of the logistics and the bureaucracy of legal matters in Iran. He just throws you right into it and then... People are just shouting at each other. That was the thing that really threw me watching it. It creates so much chaos in how the legal system is set up.
2: So I want to take this point to briefly touch on the concept of censorship. One of Farhadi's peers, Jafar Panahi, has faced a lot of censorship in his movies. But Farhadi Mm. has, by and large, managed to skirt around that. I don't really have an exact answer, but I have an example of something that's a little interesting. So all the scenes were shot on location except for the judge's office and the court because they weren't allowed to shoot there. So Farhadi says, quote, When the government gave me access for showing this, I didn't have any problems. But a few months later, I read something from them and they found something they didn't like. We were already gone, so we were lucky. The first scene and the last scene, end quote. Mm. He managed to get away with including the first scene and the last scene, but the censor board decided later on that they might have had a problem with it. So they didn't touch him? No, they didn't change oh. those scenes. But I think okay. they regretted not changing those scenes. Because what Farhadi does is he rather sneakily places conflict onto individuals, but very quietly is pointing outwards at the legal system mm. Yeah, to say, well, the way that the judge dismisses Simian is kind of wrong. I think the movie takes that stance to some extent. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the final scene, when Terme is finally being forced to decide which of her parents she'd like to go with, you see the distress that is placed upon Terme. Yes. And Farhadi is kind of pointing back to the opening scene by repeating this similar framing to say, well, if this had been solved up top, maybe she wouldn't be in such a distressing situation. Mm.
0: Yes. And another way that he skirts around this is by using the POV of the judge himself. So we never really get a clear look at him. So it seems like us, the audience, <laughs> is the judge. And I feel like in some ways, that's the point. It adds to that. Yes. That's the point. Yes. Okay.
2: So this is maybe the most important use of camera that we can talk about for Farhadi in either of these movies. In the opening and closing scenes, the camera is placed near not exactly in but near the eyeline of the judge and characters are talking to the judge slightly to the side of the lens sort of pleading their cases or in the case of the final scene terma is about to decide who she wants to live with of her parents to me what that does is it creates a desire for you to resolve the conflict but you are powerless to do so it's a movie you can't step into it but you're also placed slightly off of the eyeline of the judge very Close to the position of the judge. It creates that desire for you to resolve the conflict. And of course, it's also asking you to judge and think for yourself about who you would go with in this conflict. I don't have an answer. It makes me want to have an answer. But it frustrates me when I can't decide because it's so complicated. Mm -hmm. Did you guys feel that desire and that kind of torsion when you were watching?
1: Definitely a big part of the Viewing experience is going through that thought process, trying to think about who is right, who is wrong, and how can we make this right for everyone? Because the film is drip feeding new information every 10 minutes or so, like new things are coming up, new revelations. I don't think those two shots do that much for me in terms of putting me in that judging position. It's a nice reference in the sense that it is putting you as a judge which is thematically neat. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they do that much in terms of trying to so-called put me in the eyes of the judge. What is interesting about those two shots? So there's the first shot, which is a two-shot of Nadir and Simin sitting and pleading their case for and against divorce. And then the penultimate shot is a shot that moves in close to Terme when she's trying to make the decision of who to go with. And I think those two shots are the longest shots of the film, aside from the final shot. Yeah. yeah. And they really, and including the final shot, these three shots are kind of the parts of the film where you get time to just sit and think. It's not barraging you with new information anymore or at that time. It's not trying to deepen the conflict. It's just, this is the people. How do you think? It gives you some space to think. Yeah, especially with the final credits shot where Nadir and Simin are sitting and standing on opposite sides of the frame and then the credits roll and all you're doing is watching them. You're just sitting with those complicated emotions that you have from watching the movie. Incredible final shot.
2: As they're waiting for the answer about who Terme has decided on. Yeah. Which you never find out. You never find out.
0: (laughs) It's sort of like Inception, guys. It's sort of like Inception. But
1: you know, if you wait till the end of the credits, there is a No, I'm kidding.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Then Nick Fury comes out and says, I'm assembling a team. (laughs) Do you guys think you know the answer of who Terme has chosen? I don't. It's impossible. I
0: don't. I don't think I I want to, <laughs> because either answer would make me feel distraught in mm, different ways. Yeah, I have
2: my private answer, but I won't say mm-hmm. it, because I think part of the personal experience of this movie is contemplating that after you watch. Right. Mm. For me, not knowing the answer is the answer that the movie is giving me. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. How could you possibly, after going through this tremendous ordeal, make
0: freaking judgment on anything anymore wait wait i do have a question so a really important reason for why nadir the husband gets into the fight with razia which sets off the push is a she left and tied his dad to the bed but B, he also accuses her of taking the money. And that, mm-hmm. the, the 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 other part of it is the part that I'm a little confused as to if that was resolved or is that just an open answer.
2: I don't think that gets resolved. I was specifically looking out for that as I was reading the script. I felt like it would be a little bit easier to find and pay attention to, but that doesn't get ironed out.
0: It's weird that he would leave this plot hole unfilled. Do you think it's weird? I don't know. It's not a plot hole, it's just a detail, really. It's a detail. Yeah, 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 I, I, it's not a, not a yeah, it's not a plot hole.
2: I think it's plausible that in the heat of the moment, Nader would have either miscounted or kind of mm. misseen what he saw and then accused Razia and wasn't able to back down because this is not a guy who backs down on anything he's mm. said or takes responsibility for what he's done. That is very
0: true.
1: I kind of want to talk about the camera style that Wilson brought up
2: yeah. before. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I feel like he uses the camera to obscure information and to give you information. I was very actively thinking about what the camera was seeing and therefore what the audience was seeing.
1: And I think you mentioned this just now, Wilson. The thing that with the camera style is that it is trying to put you as a viewer into the house as an additional observer to what's happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, tactically obscuring key information to reveal later on to kind of twist the story into a different direction. But for this viewing, I was paying a lot of attention to certain moments where the camera started becoming more of a perspective of one of the characters. Mm. And I found those moments to be very interesting. Yes, They especially happened for the two daughters, so Termer and Sumaye. These two daughters are very much the observers of the conflict. They have very little power in changing the direction of where the conflict is going, right? But they're the the one on each side that gets
2: to see its side and then just wants everything to be fine. They receive the most emotional fallout for sure. Correct. Yeah.
0: But we they do have agency. They do have some agency. So,
2: to what Wilson just said about agency and the ability of the daughters to shape the story in particular Termat, if you're looking at one relationship that is the most important in the movie, I would put my finger on Relationship between Nader and his daughter Termeh. Definitely. Mm-hmm. nadir places ultimatums onto Terme. He breaks promises to her. He embroils her in lying to the magistrate. Mm-hmm. One of the key things that he says to her is: if you think I'm guilty, go tell your mom to come back upstairs. We'll call them to arrange a meeting to pay them. He places the burden of a choice onto her and he makes it about whether or not he's guilty. The relationship that is At the start of the movie, The Closest and the Most Full of Heart, Nader chips away at and demolishes in order to win this conflict, to not have to pay, to have the courts recognize that he's innocent, to show to everyone around him that he has done no wrong. It's this thing that Farhadi does where an initial wrongdoing is exacerbated by the pursuit of erasing the initial wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the thing at the heart of a separation that I admire so much and makes it so nuanced and unusual. It's not just about one problem. It's deepened by how people respond to the initial problem and the initial mistake.
1: Those two moments that you brought up, Eli, were one of the most brutal emotional moments of the film yeah yeah because it's essentially saying that this father is going to put the entire emotional weight of his own mistake onto his daughter but i have a kind of different reading from you not that i still agree with what you're saying but to me what stands out about these two moments is the cowardice of nadir yeah yeah and it's less that he is trying to use his daughter to prove that he's not guilty after watching the film i believe that nadir thinks he's guilty But he doesn't want to admit it. And that is the main crux of his emotional arc for me. He increasingly realizes he is in the wrong, but -hmm. then doesn't have the balls to
2: own up to it. Deflect responsibility at all costs. Correct. And the costs end up being pretty high.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. And yep. then is making that moral responsibility of owning up to his mistake. He's putting that burden onto his daughter because he is a coward. Yeah. And it is an insane feat of plotting that Fahadi gets us into this hit space of judging him in this very specific way. And it doesn't require that much thinking to realize it. It is just so on the surface. Mm-hmm. And that's the incredible thing about this film it is complex but immediately relatable.
2: You're right, Ben. It's not so deliberately manipulative because he does love his daughter. Mm. But he unintentionally places that second to his desire to push away responsibility for this and maintain his reputation or visage of innocence of himself.
1: Yeah. You can read it as unintentional because the way that he phrases that question, if you want me to do this, I will do Mm -hmm, it. It is mm -hmm. an open invitation. It is almost an expression of love. It's kind of like saying... I love you. If you want me to do this, I'll do it. But not realizing what a humongous ask it is. The converse Mm -hmm. of that question,
2: the subtext is, if you love me, you will not do this. That's true. right. Right. (laughs) If you think I'm innocent, if you trust me, you will not do this. But he's phrasing it as the opposite, as I love you. So do this. Do what you want.
0: Yes. But then the fallout from both of those moments, you can sense that Terme is not the same. Especially after the second one where she goes in front of the judge and it breaks their relationship, I would say. Yeah. It's so gut-wrenching to watch.
2: In the car afterwards when Terme is crying, you know it's all done. (laughs) Serena Farhadi really gives an incredible performance. I think the movie kind of relies on her being believable and she totally is. Yes.
0: Oh, car! You brought up a car, so I just really wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> beep, beep. Beep, beep. I will say that only Iranian directors should be allowed to film scenes in cars because only Iranian directors know how to shoot scenes in cars correctly or well.
2: Panahi, Farhadi, Kiarostami. Okay,
0: I've been waiting for Wilson to say this thing because I want him to <laughs> back it up.
1: <laughs>
2: no, I get it. Yeah. Akira Stami?
1: I kind of get it, but I kind of want to hear you explain it.
0: <laughs> I There is a really incredible and unique connection that you have as a passenger in the front seat to a driver. Mm-hmm. And when you have conversations with them, the driver is diverting attention between them driving and you, whereas you have your full attention on the driver. And I I feel like it's such an interesting space. You have the distraction of the road and the way that these Iranian directors like to shoot, you only see one of the characters per shot in clean mediums. And I guess the way that they're acted and the way that they cut back and forth gives a sense of realism to those kind of scenes. And I don't think I've seen a good... Car scene like that between a passenger and a driver. I it's hard to explain. It, it's just a special kind of quality. It's a vibe. I
1: know you're making a blanket statement, but old joy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I do sort of agree with you, Wilson. I think yeah.
2: that there's some American independent directors
0: yes. who who yes.
2: shoot car scenes well.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay, maybe not all, but the Iranians do it the best. (laughs) There
2: should be a special relationship to Cars on the Road for both nations. Ah, that's a dumb thing to say. I'm going to cut that. So, I guess... Sorry, I'm just not over how dumb (laughs) Because,
1: okay, I'm sorry I put you on the spot, Wilson. (laughs) No, it's okay. No, but I... I mean, I wanted to talk to you about that because I was I read your review that mentioned that. Yes. And I was especially looking out for this when I was watching The Past and A Separation. And I think part of it is the cutting. I was trying to figure out what it was. What is the kind of magic sauce
0: that he yeah. has? Right? To make
1: these scenes feel a little bit more naturalistic. Mm-hmm. I think it's because they're shot very simply. yeah, And I think that's it. And they're edited very simply.
0: You get a sense of the road that they're on. Like, every turn that mm. they make. I don't know if I agree is, with that, but... but Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah.
1: It, <sighs> I mean, okay. Here's an American movie that has a terrible car scene. I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> One of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> so what so does it do wrong? What? It has too many shot types. Mm-hmm. And these two films, The Separation and The Passive Car Scenes... Where's the camera? The camera is somebody sitting in the back seat, yeah. usually, or somebody sitting in the passenger seat. Yeah. It's realistic in the sense of the only way you can shoot this is to just put a person with a camera in the car. Yep. I'm thinking of ending things. Has the camera mounted on the window, on the hood, on the truck? It's everywhere. It doesn't need to be everywhere. Correct. It creates this sense of this being crafted too much, which reduces the realism. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about, oh, the camera's now floating somewhere, or it's currently suction cup to the window, then you're thinking about all these things.
2: Yes. That's a great counter One of my favorite resources I found in doing research for Fahadi was Sony Classics published a press release for The Past, and it included a great snippet interview with cinematographer Mahmoud Kalari, who shot both A Separation and The Past. I'm going to run through just some highlights From that, we can latch on to whatever stands out to us afterwards. Quote, Working with Oscar Farhadi is always a thrill because there are many unknown factors. It's a very spontaneous method of filming with a lot of last-minute decisions, which are by nature hard to predict. In a separation, the camera was entirely handheld except for three still shots. But you should be aware that Mr. Farhadi is capable of going back on a large part of what you had previously defined at the last minute. He does it every time. (laughs) You may have discussed the style and the visual nature of the film, but you always have to be ready for him to change his mind. He does the same thing with the actors. In the last take, he may say to them, forget all of the direction and to play the part in an entirely different way. He does this often. In the beginning, this film, referring to the past, was also meant to be all shot with a handheld camera. But very quickly, by the end of the second day, The decision was made to do still shots. (laughs) The story itself and the structure and the narrative persuaded to change our method and find a new form, which we adopted. He rejects everything that seems artificial or conventional to him in terms of composition, lighting, acting, everything. You can hear him saying to the actors, now you're acting, that was too cinematic. He does the same thing when setting up the shot. He'd say, it's overly composed. The frame looks too neat. Mm. The lighting is too perfect. It's too beautiful. I don't want that. Mm. <laughs> Oscar Farhadi considers that a shot is just right according to his ideas, specifically when it doesn't respect the established norms. Mm. Yes. It's sometimes difficult for his collaborators to understand this and to trust him. I believe that the more important thing for him is coherence between the global conception and, at the same time, the conception of each sequence. End quote.
0: Wow. Okay, he really
1: sounds like the kind of director that is... So annoying to work with, but then you can't fault him because the product is so good. Yeah, <laughs> you're <laughs> like, true. this is stupid. I don't know what's going on. The director doesn't know what he wants, but then he knows what he wants.
2: <laughs> I think he just has a lot of command. Even when he's trying things out, he knows what he wants to try out.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. It's still annoying, I think, on set. But <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. it's <laughs> worth it. It's it's definitely worth it. I mean, look at the product. Yeah, it's worth it.
2: <laughs> Quote. In a separation, the camera was a sort of narrator, a third eye who was telling a story. While here, in the past, the camera takes on the point of view of each character. In this film, the characters get close to each other, while still maintaining a certain distance from one another, but they are gathered together in sorts of choral sequences. And so, Mm -hmm. Asghar Farhaji has taken on the way each character views the others and the situation. And then, there was also something that my team was constantly talking about here, something they found both disconcerting and interesting. Mr. Farhadi placed the actors in the most uncomfortable situations and the most complicated in terms of lighting and setting up the shot. He would place them (laughs) in door frames, which is something we avoid at all costs in the cinema. There were two light sources, which we were stuck between. These sorts of challenges are what I find so interesting about this film. Oscar Farhadi seemed to intentionally place actors in settings that hindered a classically aesthetic process and a traditional way of approaching them, Mm -hmm. end quote. So this is starting to get into some of the camera-style differences between A Separation and The Past, which maybe is a nice segue into The Past.
0: Final words on A Separation is watch it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, The Past,
0: 2013. Dun, dun, dun.
2: So similarly to A Separation, this started with a couple of kernels that he started to weave together. He says that he had the idea about the man who's been living away from his wife for a few years, and now he's traveling back to finalize their divorce, and then taking care of a child and a new partner, and the ex-wife who's now in a coma. All of these things sort of sprouted out of some initial ideas around who the main character is. That main character is Ali Masafa, who plays Ahmad. He's returning to France to finalize this divorce with Marianne, who's played by Berenice Bejo. They're still friendly and maybe even caring, Ahmad acts fatherly towards her daughters from a prior marriage, Lucy, who's played by Pauline Burlette and Leah, played by Jean Justine. Marianne is set to be married to Samir, played by Tahar Rahim, who runs a laundromat. Samir has a child from a prior marriage, the temperamental Fouad, played by a phenomenal child actor, Elias Aguis. Mm-hmm. Fouad's mother is in a coma, and we come to learn that she struggled with depression. But Lucy has some suspicions that her mother Marianne May have pushed Samir's wife over the edge. Ahmad tries to get to the bottom of all this, and he intervenes inappropriately on a matter that isn't really his concern, and, once again, for Hadi fallout, things fall apart. Farhadi says, quote, he's kind of a catalyst. He puts the others in a condition for speaking, for saying things that had remained unsaid for a long time, but he's not even aware of it, End quote. As I said earlier, I'm choosing the past because there are some key notable differences from Farhadi's typical fare. It's not set in Iran. It's not a main character who's particularly prideful. Instead of undertaking responsibility, as Nader does, he's overtaking responsibility and intervening in this problem that isn't fully his business. There's more overt melodrama, though Ben mentioned that maybe everybody knows is more melodramatic, and the camera style is a little bit different. There's a particularly virtuosic final shot, which is an extremely long take on a study cam. It synthesizes all these undercurrents of other interests that Farhadi has. And I thought that they synthesize very interestingly. It's not my favorite mm-hmm. of his, but I think that it's really interesting. And there are, in particular, a number of scenes that are just flooring, particularly involving Fuad. There's a scene in the subway yes. where Tahar Rahim's character, Samir, talks to his son. <laughs> And it moves from violent and intimidating to tender and caring in the most remarkable way. So tell me, guys, tell me more about how you experienced the past.
0: <laughs> do you, oh, do you uh, want me to go first, Ben, so we can, uh, yes. so when you go, then we will we'll fight? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this was actually the first one that I watched because I definitely A Separation was more acclaimed. So this was a good lead up. But thinking about how this was a follow-up to A Separation and how Farhadi chose to move abroad, I couldn't help but think about fellow Deep Cut director Hirokazu Koreeda, who went to France after his his big Palme d'Or win with Shoplifters and made The Truth with a lot of big names. Oh, so (laughs) bad. Well, yeah, (laughs) I... (laughs) also good in my opinion but <laughs> it, it it was interesting to to see how much of their core as a director and their tendencies they could keep when moving to another country. And I would say that with the past, Farhadi was able to keep a lot of his narrative tendencies, even his stylistic tendencies, and the way that he works with actors a lot more than Koryeda did with The Truth. I really enjoyed this movie. It is a lot simpler than A Separation, where the whole conflict hinged on one revelation that is sort of prolonged throughout the course of the film, and the revelation being what happened to Fawad's mother who was in a coma, and the slow doling out of information. And each time bringing melodramatic punch after melodramatic punch but I think it is still a really really tight script and the performances across the board are really great, especially the the, the child performances for uh, Lucy Leah and Fuad. Oh I, I also did really love that long take in the hospital but I'm a sucker for long takes <laughs> <laughs> How about you Ben?
2: Uh-oh. Oh boy here it comes <laughs> Okay there he goes.
3: Shitting on the past, <laughs> <And> the train. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the first thing is, I honestly cannot care less about these emails they keep talking
3: oh. about. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> email? Okay, who the hell
1: sends love letters by email? It's the first problem I had. And
2: you clearly aren't using email correctly.
0: French people in their thirties, forties.
1: I mean. I'm not kidding when I say that these emails really hold so little dramatic consequence for me, but that's not really the main issue. The main issue is, unlike a separation which is filled to the brim with characters and different motivations, The Past is essentially a film with four characters, right? Ahmad, who visits his ex-wife and her new lover, and Marie-Anne's daughter from previous marriage, Lucy. Those, to me, were the four main characters. To me, everyone else felt extraneous to the story. Fuat is notably incredible. The acting is fantastic. But even looking at that subway scene, knowing that this is a good scene, this is good acting, it didn't speak to the rest of the film for me. It didn't have a function. You look at A Separation. Terme obviously has a huge role in that film. But Somalia has a very small part in that film. But she's critical because she creates moments of tension when she reveals critical information to different adults mm-hmm. because she's a kid she just says what's on her mind whereas Leia and Fuad don't do that much Fuad is just kind of there as this kind of chaotic presence to show the the grief that he's going through as a kid I respect that I understand that from a objective point of view but from a film watching point of view it didn't really seem to matter to me and I think the key problem here is that Ahmad is the main character But it feels for me like he has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. The divorce is critical to his character. It is what starts the movie. But then if you took out Ahmad's character, the story still stands. If you took out those two kids, the story still stands. It's really a story between Marianne, Samir, and critically, the woman that's working at the laundromat. And that's another kind of problem I have, which is in a separation, you have, So many situations where new information comes up to change narrative. We are learning new information about characters we already know. But then with the past, you have this character, Naima, who is the woman that works at the laundromat, gets thrown in in the middle of the film to upend the whole situation. And you learn about her and how she relates to the emails. And then suddenly there's a whole plot about undocumented immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this feels inelegant. It feels jammed in there to create conflict. It feels contrived. And I had a really big problem with that because it doesn't feel as smartly plotted as A Separation is.
0: But even if it's not as smartly plotted as A Separation, you're like comparing a decent film to a masterpiece here. Like, I I feel like... To me,
1: the gulf is way bigger than that. I was quite disinterested watching this film because mm-hmm. I really couldn't connect with it emotionally to mm-hmm. really invest myself in this plot because it takes such a long time for us to get to this point of the emails.
2: But what about her emails? <laughs> I, I don't care. <laughs>
1: yeah, I just don't care about the emails. And he ha- and the funny thing is, that's not the only email that's a point of conflict. That's also Ahmad no, complaining to... Marianne about not booking the hotel and she's like I sent you an email and he's like I didn't receive it and she's like did you check your spam and he's like I didn't get it and I'm like I don't care about email
0: (laughs) it really shows Farhadi's age (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there's two years between these two
2: films (laughs) (laughs) the thing is Ben I kind of agree with all of your grievances and I don't fault you for them I agree that the email doesn't quite add up the story works without Ahmad and some of the other extraneous characters Ahmad kind of falls off a cliff plot wise after a certain point and Naima takes his place yeah these are all things that I agree with and yet I still think that lower shelf Farhadi is terrific I still enjoyed the scenes for what they were Mm -hmm. the scene with Samir and Marianne and Ahmad in the kitchen as they're talking about what to do about Lucy the scene in the subway, the final scene, the argument between Marianne and Ahmad in his apartment. There are just a number of scenes that work well for me, though, Ben, I agree that it's missing the coherence that locks together Farhadi's best of the best movies. Yes. In terms of that late-stage character of Naima, Farhadi talks about this in interviews. Oftentimes, there will be a key character who enters later in the movie. This happens in The Salesman, happens in About Ellie, happens in the past that's something that he likes to put in I think probably to varying degrees of success I'm less interested in the contrivance of Naima she's not necessary for the rest of the plot to work I think but she's still interesting and has a consistent pathology and psychology that even though it's not the perfect script it moves so well on its acting and its scene writing Mm -hmm. I still feel compelled by it yeah though yeah you're kind of right to have the grievances with it that you do. I completely get it. Right.
1: For me, once you lose me on this kind of larger picture thing, it's mm-hmm. I'm gone. Like it's hard to right invest in even a good scene when it doesn't feel like the scene
2: matters. I'm oftentimes yeah. the same way. I don't really have an explanation for why I was able to put that aside for this movie. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that really makes sense though, Ben. But I think what carried for me between the two films is what we talked about earlier about how we understand where characters are coming from in each scene and understanding how these different forces are clashing is always so interesting because everyone has their own agenda. Even in the past, I still understand why everyone is acting the way that they do, but it I, I'm still scared to see the outcome of any interaction. <laughs>
2: yeah, this is as good a point as any, to drop in a particularly choice quotation about the difference between a separation and the past. He gets asked in this one interview, the camera was handheld in the separation and in this film it is more often still. Why this style change? And he says, quote, once the story took shape and I went to see the locations, I realized this story had to be steadier with a camera that would move less that wouldn't communicate a feeling of restlessness and mm. a separation. All the events took place in the here and now, in front of the viewer's eyes. Here, the key events have taken place in the past, (laughs) and we can only witness their inner consequences on the characters. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The film is more interiorized, and therefore more still, end quote. Right. This kind of feels like it's getting to what we're talking about, though. There's both an inner depth and an immediacy to a separation, whereas the past is operating a little bit more loosely and obscurely. There's often a lot of literal frame obstructions and characters speaking to each other separated by walls or glass barriers or fences. There's a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding and not everything perfectly connects, but there's still a lot there. Mm -hmm.
1: I think that quote kind of clarifies the past for me, but it also kind of clarifies why it doesn't work. And I think it's because... It is so much about the interior. You had a quote previously, Eli, where he talks about how the viewer is like a detective. Yeah. If we're to be a detective, with a separation, we get to see the events and we get to judge the events based on what we are able to see. But with the past, you're put in the position of a detective but instead of being able to visit the scene of the crime, all you get mm-hmm. to do is to interrogate the characters and have them tell you their story. Ooh, I like that. Yeah.
2: It's almost like he's doing a flashback movie without including flashbacks. Yeah, right. I think
1: that's why it's difficult to really judge them because we don't know what the thing is. We, we don't see the event. Yes, We don't see the event of Samir's wife's attempted suicide. We don't see that moment. So we're told all these different perspectives of what happened that have been embellished, have been changed to suit the different characters. And I get why that could be an interesting mental exercise, but not necessarily an interesting emotional one.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read this letterbox review that was a sort of a slight critique of the movie that I really could not shake. <laughs> and I wanted to ask what you guys thought about it. So basically this review was basically calling Farhadi sexist in the way that he was writing his characters uh, in this film as how all the men in this movie are very level-headed and try to Diffuse the situation, whereas all the women in this movie are the ones that are starting shit and and acting irrational. The more that I thought about it, the more that it like clicked in my head. Even though I didn't feel it when I was watching it, I could not stop thinking about that since I read that review. And I was wondering what you guys thought about that.
2: Yeah, I think that that's a valid concern for this movie. I think partially that might have to do with how different France and Iran are. So there's a quotation that he gives in an interview about the past that I think is a little bit iffy, but interesting and gives context to where he's coming from. So he says, quote, Throughout my whole life, I've liked and respected women more than men. Women take on more responsibility and are more forgiving than men. They look at the future because they are often preparing for the day when they will have a baby, whereas men are often more preoccupied with their past. Maybe because of all the limitations in my country, women are trying harder than men, and that's why they are stronger. There are more women going to universities in Iran than men. When I went to France and made a French film, the female character was no different from those in any of my other films. It's possible that my views on women were shaped in Iran, but anywhere that I go and work, my perspective never changes." End quote. I mean, first of all, worth saying that reading this quotation is not an endorsement <laughs> <laughs> of it. <laughs> But I don't think it would be right to ignore something like this. And also, we're saying that, like, none of us are from Iran or France. And it's hard to judge based on where we come from, what Farhadi says, you know?
0: Right. I think
1: that's why it's kind of difficult for filmmakers to work outside of your home country. Because you see with the separation, the characters are drawn with such specificity. You look at Mm -hmm. Marzia, her religiousness is such an integral part of a character. And it forms why she acts that way, her religion informs the way that she views her place as a woman. Mm -hmm. You can understand it, and he doesn't spend that much time explaining why it's this way, but it gives you enough context that you can figure out where her head is at, why she makes certain decisions, why she is so obsessed with doing the right thing based on religion. But with Marianne in the past, she is drawn a little broadly... And it's a little difficult to pin down what is the thing that really motivates her.
2: Same for Lucy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I don't know what they care about. And I have so many questions about them that are not being answered. And it's not the nice way of not being answered. It's just a question mark. Yes. Right? Why does Lucy have so many marriages? Why does she bounce from lover to lover? Why are these men attracted to her? All these questions that... (laughs) I have that I don't understand and to the point of the sexism in this film I think maybe the review is trying to talk about the way that he's characterizing the women in the film yes and you do kind of see that he sort of gives the women the hysterical outbursts they're the ones who are more emotional and it's because of the way that they've been written I kind of understand where that review is coming from the way that he kind of puts the two genders in different buckets of feeling. Yeah, And yeah, it does make me uncomfortable. I was a little uncomfortable watching Marianne always railing against Ahmad, always having an outburst, manhandling Fuad at the start of the movie. And it made it very difficult for me to empathize with her because of the way that she was characterized. And I think that's partially why I could not be invested because I didn't care about her. Mm. That makes sense. Like, I don't know enough about her situation to really understand her, to empathize
2: with her. She seemed mean because of the way she was characterized.
1: So it was a little difficult.
2: That makes sense. I think a similar thing happens with another social issue in Everybody Knows, where the film tiptoes around questions of immigration mm-hmm. and worker labor in a couple of scenes, and then doesn't really tie it in with the rest of the conflicts of the movie, or even questions about class. Mm-hmm. Right. As you note, know, Wilson... Farhadi is able to, for the most part, pencil in the motivations and psychology of the characters. But there are a couple things that become a little bit more blurred or less specific in the two movies that he filmed outside of Iran.
0: Yeah, I think knowing context and and having a familiarity of society is proving to be key to make movies in that society. But I am thinking about Farhadi's work outside of Iran and compared with Kiristami's work outside of Iran. And hopefully we'll get to cover him soon. He had two films that he made outside of Iran before he passed away, Certified Copy and Like Someone in Love in Japan both are are really incredible and I think that the female characters in both are complex and 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 written well and and I think there's an understanding of their place in society that is very well thought out Just very interesting to compare looking back at the past and and seeing how in at least in my head I agree with Ben where Farhadi is sort of placing the male characters in a bucket and then the female characters in the bucket in how they act out on their emotions yeah
2: i have another quotation from an interview with him that elaborates more on that type of divide that we're noting he says quote currently in iran it is the women who are struggling the most in an attempt to recover the rights they have been deprived of they are at once more resistant and more determined Western audiences often have a very fragmented image of the Iranian woman, whom they see as being passive, homebound, far from any kind of social activity. Perhaps a certain number of women in Iran do live like that, but for the most part, women are highly present and active in society, and in a much more forthright manner than men, despite the restrictions they are subjective to." So, I think it's a matter of context how he's drawing those characters. Yeah. But I am also still troubled by the female characters in the past being given those larger, less measured outbursts.
1: I feel like this segues into talking about the perspective of this movie and how style helps with that or doesn't help with that. because yeah. Like we said, the style is much more still. It has less of that restlessness in a separation. But I kind of came out of this movie and felt like sort of just looked like TV. (coughs) It didn't really feel (laughs) especially interesting to watch. (laughs) I understand the point is that you're being still so that you can spend more time watching the actors work to see how the character acts, how they speak. Mm -hmm. You spend more time hanging on every single word. But I think maybe I wish there was a bit more of a flourish in there. I know I'm asking for something that is not necessary, but there is that kind of divide between the two movies. But I feel like it's about how you block and position actors in a scene, how a scene progresses. And they are not staged... Especially interestingly, I keep talking about a separation because a separation essentially is a perfect movie mm-hmm. in all these respects, but there is so much more movement of characters between spaces in a separation in that main apartment that energizes those scenes that let the actors breathe. Whereas in the past, things feel so static, contained within single rooms. It kind, yeah, it just kind of feels a little bit like TV.
2: Ben, on that, you should watch Fireworks Wednesday. It's mostly Ooh. set in one apartment, but the way that that space is used and people weave in and out, it's almost farcical in the way that people Ooh. are coming in and out, but of course in a very Farhadi-grounded, serious mm. way. Wow. I mostly agree with the exception of a couple scenes, the subway, Mm -hmm. and that final scene.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that final scene is really killer.
2: Oh, also, one more moment of blocking that I could throw out there is when Marianne is deciding whether or not to tell Samir about Lucy leaking the emails. Mm -hmm. She has a conversation with him, doesn't tell him, leaves the apartment, Mm -hmm. starts to go back down the stairs... Here's a crying baby and in an interesting and unique little use of off-screen sound for Farhadi. and then Marianne returns and tells him. So there are moments with flashes of interesting blocking, but on the whole, Ben, I do agree, it's a little bit more still.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and boring, boring a little bit. But <laughs> but he but, he, but he's, he we can all agree that he still can nail a car scene. Yeah, I that's the true. Car okay, he does great. he does nail the
1: car scenes though. I have to agree. This
2: is an important car scene to mention in terms of nationality and leaving one's country. This is the only scene between Samir, who's Marianne's new lover, and Ahmad, who is Marianne's old lover. They're in a car together. They're going to pick up Lucy, who's run away from home. Marianne is not around. No other French characters are around. And I believe this is one of the only scenes in which Farsi is spoken in the movie as opposed to French. Mm. The only other time would be Ahmad has a friend who runs a restaurant who he speaks in Farsi with. Mm -hmm. But I thought that that was an interesting little glimpse that maybe doesn't get dived into as much as it could of the thematic territory of, okay, Ahmad and Samir are Iranian men who have come to France, Mm -hmm. and they both have relationships with Marianne. What's up with that? It's interesting, but it isn't Fully deeply explored, I think. Right. It's just sort of placed yeah. on the table for a little bit of contemplation. Yeah.
1: So I wanted to talk about the perspective because, with that kind of still cinematography, you are placed in a more, I guess you could say, objective stance towards the characters. Yeah, you could And see that. I wanted to talk about a separation because I had this question that I wanted to ask you two in terms of your emotional journey through a separation because, arguably, I would say the film aligns mostly with Nadir right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't say that he's right, but aligns mostly with him in terms of the perspective of how we move through the story and the information. Yes, we do get scenes of Razia where Nadir is not around, but primarily we are following Nadir. And I felt like there were so many scenes where it's about what Nadir is experiencing. So I felt very rooted in his perspective of the events. And I felt like a right asshole because I felt very suspicious about Razia for a lot of the film. Because so much information is obscured from you that it almost sets you up to feel like Nadir feeling suspicious about Razir and Hojad. Mm-hmm. Do y'all have that similar experience?
0: I did, and I think the it, it was very intentional on how the, the narrative range was restricted to Nadir and Tarzan and, and that family. But I think how Farhadi starts to complicate things by making Nadir a character who, who who continually does not stand down throughout the the course of the movie, I think is one of the most important emotional beats that he, he continues to hit that I think is really effective. So I understand why keeping us from the Razia side of the story is important in Farhadi's ability to draw emotion out of his audience.
2: Yeah, there's a simultaneous proximity to Nader and distance from him as we are repulsed by his actions. Though it is also worth noting that we get a significant amount of time with Razia and Simin as well. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, I'm a far way out from my first viewing both temporally and uh, quantitatively in terms of number of viewings. But I remember feeling off the bat like Nadera was in the wrong because the movie skirts around the fact that Razia was hit by a car. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the script, it just says you hear a screeching of tires and it cuts away. And I think there's even less in the movie to tell you that that has happened. It's something you learn later. Yeah. It doesn't show you it anything. Really yeah. Really yeah. doesn't.
1: Yeah. I asked this question because I was thinking, damn, I feel like an, an asshole because clearly Razia is underprivileged. She needs this money. Yeah. And yet I've been put in this position of judging her so severely. And there's so many scenes where I was like, yeah, you can't get pushed down the stairs. What? What is, why are you hiding? And I felt so bad about this whole thing, even when I didn't get the information later. But I still felt righteous. And I think it's because. I am an asshole, but... I, I was like, <laughs> no. oh, no. But I was like, yeah, like this doesn't make any sense. You, are, She is lying. It's undeniable that she's lying. Yeah. But of course she has reasons for it. Right. But it really gets you in that judging of everyone.
0: It
2: definitely makes you suspicious of different characters at different points. And it lures yeah. you into feeling vindicated when it turns out that Razia was hit by the car, Mm -hmm. it lures you into a feeling of relief. Aha, there's finally a clear solution to this. Mm -hmm. But then once Nadir acts on that and places his checkmate move of asking Razia to swear on the Quran that she's telling the truth Mm. and she won't do it, and he air quotes, wins the conflict, (laughs) it's hollow. And everything is still lost. All the relationships are still ruined. It lures you into that experience of winning, but nothing mattering because Mm -hmm. it's all so cruel.
0: Yeah. It it sort of feels like for a lot of the film that Farhadi puts you in the place of Terme, because she is very innocent in Mm -hmm. the whole main issue of the film, and how she is an observant and trying to make these decisions within her head to determine who's guilty and who's not guilty, who should I side with. I feel like we're also, in turn, making our own decisions based on what information we're given. Wilson, what you said about Tamir reminded
1: me of another moment. We mentioned this really early on, which is that Tamir lies. To the court for her father. And it's a very interesting scene. Because she was not told to lie. She was not given context to lie. She was just thrown into it. And it's another situation where Nadir lets his fate be decided by Tamir. And I guess exploits her love for him. Maybe he
2: felt like she was going to tell the truth. But she somehow picked up on the fact that she needed to lie. Mm -hmm. Because of the demeanor that he sets. And the example that he sets... She can tell from his affect that he wants her trust and her compliance. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but th- she doesn't even know what she's supposed to lie about. But she just does it right. It's crazy. And I was like, oh man, makes her culpable in a way that is so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, It really does. I'm not to bash in the past, but um, <laughs> I wish we had that kind of access. Right. To characters like Ahmad
0: to understand where they're coming from to to have a better grasp hard because Ahmad essentially does not really bring so much to the the plot of the film.
2: He is by design an outsider coming into this situation and sort of manhandling it. Yes. You know in any Farhadi movie there's like what I call the Farhadi mistake of someone coming in and doing something wrong but for a reason that is understandable to them and maybe to the viewer Mm -hmm. ideally. Mm -hmm. So in the past it would be Ahmad telling Lucy about Marianne's pregnancy and then telling Marianne that Lucy forwarded the emails to Samir's ex-wife. These are things that he does to try to make things better. Mm -hmm. And oh boy, does it make things worse. Yeah.
1: I wonder if the past would have been a better film if Ahmad didn't seem like such a languid character in the Mm -hmm. way that he was trying to solve the problems. Like if he came out as this character that's like, all right, you want me to solve a problem? I'm going to solve it. I'm going to get right down to it and just tries his best to solve it like a man, you know what I mean? Right. In a similar way to how Nadir does it. But because he's kind of chillax about the whole thing, he's like, yeah, you told me to
0: talk to her about it, so I'm talking to her about it. I don't think it's just a chillax thing. I think it adds another level because he's at conflict with how invested he wants to be in a family that he is leaving. Mm. And I think that is what makes it so interesting to see that this man who already has one foot out the door continually deciding to still be in this business that he really doesn't have to be in Mm. totally agreed
2: it adds a layer of complication for me and it's also preceded by as soon as he arrives at Marianne's house he starts painting and cleaning up after the kids Mm. and fathering samir's child which is totally not called for that's
1: true i like this idea on a theoretical level but (laughs) just on a theoretical level (laughs) yeah i like it because i I
2: think it is an interesting character wrinkle let's zero in on the final sequence that final shot Mm -hmm. as a way to close out our conversation about the past it good
0: it's really good and i think for a moment where you haven't seen samir's wife throughout the course of the film and she's just this looming figure in all these characters' minds. I think it was the best way for him to tie it up a little better and close on the relationship between Samir and his wife.
2: In a way, it works as very delayed exposition, Mm -hmm. specifically emotional exposition, about why Samir is so attached to the idea of the past and his wife. Yeah. And it uses the camera and the editing of that very long take, smooth moving camera as a way to convey that emotional information. You feel the depth of Samir's feeling in that moment as the final beat of the movie.
1: i really <laughs> care careful. The last scene. I'm sorry. I'm just taking this position for this whole podcast. I think... Part of the problem of that scene is what you just said, Eli, that it is delayed emotional exposition. I think I would have appreciated understanding Samir's relationship with his ex-wife, or rather his current wife, earlier on, so I could better contextualize this relationship that he has with Marianne. And so giving me this thing at the end felt like nothing to me, because Mm -hmm. we have not had a journey with his wife. We have not understood her from any other perspective except from the lens of others. I can understand how that could work, but it wasn't new information for me. Right. It wasn't necessarily emotional for me from a stylistic level either. It was just another question. Mm-hmm. Does he still love his wife? Does he wish she was back? But then it takes five to seven minutes to do that because it's a long take. And it functions <laughs> similarly to this whole thing with Ahmad when he doesn't get to say his thing. Yeah, and also, I, I don't know whether I'm stupid, but was it supposed to imply that she grabs his hand? Because it was filmed a bit weird for me.
2: I You're not stupid. I also don't know <laughs> if that was supposed to be taken <laughs> literally or figuratively. Yeah. And, you know, once again, Ben, I kind of agree with you. I think, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think that makes sense, and it does come a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm being blindsided by my adoration for Fahadi.
1: Your love for Fahadi because you want him to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Deliver, hand deliver the script. It's amazing. The past is an incredible film, five stars. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes.
2: All the things that you're picking up, you're very cogently describing the things that didn't work for you and labeling those things. And I kind of agree with all of them. Yeah. And yet I still kind of connected with it.
0: Mm. I, yeah and i still enjoyed it but i think it goes to show what a tightrope walk writing farhadi scripts are like because they're packed so much with detail and intention that one wrong step or a couple mm-hmm. wrong steps can really flip a movie over for for viewers
1: yes. it's a very intricate blend of elements mm-hmm. one element being awful kind of Fuck up the whole recipe, right? Right. Which is why the separation is such a miracle of a movie. Yes. Because it is perfectly balanced in all its goals. Yes. And I think it's also... I mean, to his credit, Hardy is trying such complicated things. He has to balance all these characters. He has to find the right balance of conflict between every single character. It is not easy at all. No. Not many filmmakers are trying to do this. Not many filmmakers are trying to imbue this much nuance to their scripts or to their characters.
2: He's one of those directors where even if a movie doesn't perfectly work, there's always something interesting there. And I will find that second movie before <laughs> I die. <laughs> I swear on
0: it. It'll happen. Let's all join together as listeners to, to try to find Asgar Farhadi's second movie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think the last thing I'll put out there is this one thing he says, which feels pretty to the heart of how he orchestrates conflict. Quote, it's difficult to understand ourselves when we are in a moment of crisis. Just imagine that we are having this conversation in a car as we are heading out on a trip. Everything is going fine and then somebody comes with a gun and threatens us. Then we are not ourselves. We become completely different people. End quote. I think that Farhadi wishes to show us people who become different versions of themselves through a crisis so that when we inevitably someday find ourselves in some sort of crisis we can do what is within our power to retain ourselves and to recognize other people in the conflict as people who are full in their own right as we are
0: Mm. well said Eli wow that was beautiful Eli thanks (laughs) Eli you have a quote for everything I know
2: (laughs) this is ridiculous
0: there's too many quotations yeah (laughs)
1: all the quotes. hundreds
0: of quotes (laughs) all the quotes one more hour. First of quotes. First word from every quote. Yeah, the 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 smelled, the the, 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 it, the, the, it, the. It spells Mr. Policeman. You had all the clues.
2: <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Deep Cut Join us for some fun old chats about movies on our Discord server. You'll find a link to the server in the description for this episode. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork.
0: I'm Wilson. I'm Ben.
2: I'm Eli. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time.
0: dum bum ba da. What is it? How does it go again?